With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. For one more beer for me, exile means quality, so savagely. The HN Podcast, Miller and Dace, talking about Iowa's 38-14 to victory over Northern Iowa and likely quite a bit of Iowa against Wisconsin conversation coming up here very shortly as well. I think I predicted 38-7 or 38-10 when I was on with Ken Miller late last week, Steve, and I think the most important thing that you and I addressed a week ago this time, and I reiterated when I talked with Ken last week, was I, I think you termed it that Iowa needed to use this game like an NFL preseason game. And we both felt that the first half didn't matter what the score was, come out and try to establish the passing game, try to get Nate Stanley um, back to some sort of rhythm with wide receivers as opposed to just tight ends. And um, I think by and large, Iowa probably got out of this game everything they hoped for. After the game and in my podcast last night, I said this felt like a business meeting that had several different objectives, and it just felt like Iowa probably accomplished what it set out to accomplish. What were your thoughts? Yeah, I agree with that. But in general, I think you can't accomplish anything good in games against FCS teams beyond um, nobody seriously gets hurt. Um, you know, I'll just when I look at you know you have the the efficiency rating the way the NCA does it. And one of the things I like to look at is um, ESPN will adjust quarterback rating for the NFL's QBR, which is far more restrictive and, and difficult, obviously. And, you know, in, against I, against Northern, Northern Illinois, uh, if, this, if this was an NFL quarterback performance, Nathan Stanley's QBR was 51.3. Against Iowa State, it was 59.8. Against Northern Iowa, it's 83.1. So there you go. Um, we may find out Saturday night that something was accomplished. And that is where, you know, maybe some precision and some timing and those sorts of things, like a preseason game. I mean, you saw it today in the NFL, for example. You saw week one, a whole bunch of games go under because fewer and fewer, you know, we, we, we haven't seen that the starters a lot in preseason games in our lifetime anyway. But you don't even see them play all that much in that week three dress rehearsal. You know, we used to watch the starters play the whole first half and then come out and play the first drive of the second half to simulate, you know, halftime adjustments and stuff. And so that was always the week to watch preseason. The last few years, you see almost nothing of anybody. And that's why I think you also 
also saw a lot of under total games in week one of the NFL because a lot of your star players timing precision just wasn't there. And then go look at the passing statistics for a lot of guys this week compared to last week. And it's amazing what one game of live action does in terms of, uh, you know, motivating you and, and your and your and it, the team around you to uh, just to get more acclimated to the speed of the game. And so we will find out on Saturday night whether that worked for Iowa or not. There's really no way of answering that right now. I understand what you're saying, and, and I totally get that. Um, Iowa's defense, you earlier than anybody I read, heard from, spoke with, you felt Iowa's defensive line was going to be very good this year. I had reservations just because I was concerned about Iowa's ability to stop the run, especially in the middle. And while Iowa hasn't exactly played a murderer's row um, with their schedule this year, I did look at the Sagan rankings, and I think Iowa Iowa's strength of schedule is you know higher than Michigan's and Wisconsin's and Michigan State's, um, etc. Yeah, but. But Iowa's and defense. I, and that's right. why I have got in my top twenty-five this week. I have Iowa ranked higher than every team you just mentioned because of that. Yes. Yeah, Iowa. Their defense is second in the nation scoring defense, second in the nation rushing defense. Uh, I believe they are second or third in the nation in sacks, second in the nation in total defense, twenty-fifth in the nation in, in passing defense. I did not expect that defensive line to be this good, and really. The reason why the entire defense is playing the way they are is because this defensive line looks like they are really good. So you were right on that. Well, you know, most of your main level power five teams at this juncture of the year are going to have played one really good opponent. With a couple of exceptions, you know, LSU has played two teams ranked in the top 10 at the time, neither one of them at home, which is why to me, I have LSU ranked third in my top 25 this week. And that's probably the lowest you could possibly rank them. Uh, Alabama, uh, you know, played Old Miss, who we think has a pretty good offense, but they don't play a lick of defense. And, you know, last night, Alabama beat them 62-7. to uh, They they played Louisville in week one, and Louisville almost lost to Western Kentucky, this, who's terrible this year at home. So most teams haven't played more than one real quality opponent yet because you've only played two or three games, okay? So absolutely, I think, therefore, you can look at Iowa's defensive dominance um, and not say it's too early to look at those stats because it's relative to the similar competition that's played around the country at this juncture of the season. And what we're seeing from Iowa's defensive front is there's just – there's a combination and variety of body types, skill sets, um, you know, the ability – what what – the luxury that Iowa has that you didn't have in past years. In past years, Iowa got a kid like Epinesa. You were going to have to play him 50, 60, 70 snaps. And you were going to have to have, he was going to have to be really stout of holding the edge against the run on the outside because of Iowa's scheme. And, and that is, that's a lot of physical wear and tear. And that was going to take away from his ability uh, to really, you know, pin his ear backs and go after the passer. But this year, I was in a position that, you know, the the Ohio States and Clemson's and Alabama's who have these sorts of defensive lines every year can take a, a Nick Bosa, uh, Joey Bosa, um, you know, kind of a player. You know, Christian Wilkins, who a lot of people think might be 
If it's not Bosa, who's we, is hurt, we don't know for how long. But if it's not him, a lot of people think he's Christian Wilkins at Clemson is the best defensive lineman in the country. Well, he was originally a defensive end. Clemson went out and got two five-star players, had so much luxury there. They turned him into a defensive tackle, and now he's virtually unblockable because um, he's just too quick for interior offensive linemen because most off interior offensive linemen at the college level are playing that position because they're not athletic enough to play tackle. And he's just terrorizing uh, the, inner, in the inside gaps on, on most college offensive lines. And that's what you have. That's what Epinesa is bringing to the table now, the ability to play him all over the field up front uh, and move him around in order to, to take advantage of his skill set and his athleticism. He's not being asked to hold the edge against the run, you know, 30, 40, 30, 40 times a game where you get beat down. And this that's because this year's team has a level of, of depth that Iowa defensive fronts in the past have not had. Uh, and, you know, I think that is a huge factor. And as long as these guys stay healthy, I don't think that's going to change. I think that will be – so as much as I'm kind of like, yeah, yeah, I mean, they got some passing yards against Northern Iowa, and it may mean something on Saturday night against Wisconsin. That's when we'll know. We'll know if it, if it, if it transfers over or if it was just because you played an, an overwhelmed opponent. In this case, though, um, this is as constant as a North Star for a football program. Provided you stay healthy, this is going to be a unit that's going to be very difficult to block for pretty much every team remaining on Iowa's schedule. So let, let's just, given that it was Northern Iowa, it was an FCS team, no disrespect to Northern Iowa, but Iowa should beat them can I, that can way. Can I clarify what I'm saying about this for just a second? I'm not saying that... I don't put any stock in how Nathan Stanley threw the football on Saturday. What I'm saying is I don't know whether or not I can until we see if if it, if it translates to what they are doing against better opponents. Does that make sense? That's what well, I'm trying it's, to say. Yeah, it's like playing horse when you're a kid. You know, you, you win the, on the E, but then, you know, we added you have to prove it. So you have to, like, get horses. Yeah. So, you know, you yeah. got to prove that shot. That's it. That's all you're talking about. Yep. L- looks yep. good. So, yep. um, Wisconsin. Wisconsin's style uh, is going to be different than any other style of offense Iowa will face the entire season. This defensive line that Iowa has um, is very uh, – they, they, they might be the best pass – they have a chance to be the best pass-rushing defensive line in the Kirk Ferentz era, which says a lot. Um, but can they hold up? against Wisconsin's style of blocking. And I was concerned about that. But I watched nearly the entire Wisconsin-BYU game. BYU plays a similar 4-3 front that Iowa plays, although BYU's defensive linemen probably have a little more junk in the trunk than Iowa's do across left to right, but they're nowhere near as good of pass rushers as Iowa's are. And they they created so much havoc. They got good penetration. Um, they made Wisconsin's quarterback look, you know, Alex Hornibrook look a lot like the bad Alex Hornibrook from last year. And if they would have been a little quicker, they could have racked up some sack totals. It's going to be a fascinating contrast of styles with Iowa's style of defensive line, even though they still are a very um, gap-sound defense. And that's what you have to be. What are your kind of 
initial thoughts based upon what you've seen from Wisconsin thus far, namely this past Saturday? I, I guess even going back to last week against New Mexico, when you and I were both perplexed why they were running Jonathan Taylor 33 times in that game and why Alex Hornibrook only threw it 11 because we said Hornibrook was going to need to throw the ball at some point in time, and they had they, they were down a couple of receivers. Cephas isn't going to be coming back this week, and Hornibrook looked like a guy that had really not much not much in sync with his wide receiver position, and he didn't make those throws on Saturday. So what are your initial thoughts on that? Well, my initial thoughts are, so far we're seeing that, you know, the, the bit, one of the big questions we had coming into this season in the Big Ten was whether the Alex Hornibrook we saw in the Orange Bowl was an outlier or a step forward, right? We talked a lot about that because mm-hmm. he was pretty much averaging a pick six a week thereabouts last yeah. season. And then he comes in against the turnover chain, the number one turnover-causing defense in the country, and looks like Russell Wilson out there in a Badger uniform. So was that the out? And he was doing it in Miami Stadium, prime time, uh, with what was essentially a road game. So was that the outlier or was that the step forward? And there's no way of knowing because when you're dealing with bowl games, it's, it's so often one or the other. You don't know because of the long layoff. You don't know if that's you know that guy took that you know turned that corner in a, in in what amounts to a second spring practice, or if you know you just caught something on a on a long term scout uh, that maybe if you only had three days to prepare in the middle of the year for you know week again on game week you wouldn't catch and you just saw it with that much time off, and well I think we kind of know now that um, it was an outlier because you know. Uh, you know, Quintez, Quintez Sevis is a very good receiver, but they didn't have him the last, and he and he ain't going to be back for a while because the police in Madison are going forward with the criminal case against him. But but they didn't have him the last couple weeks of the season either. He wasn't on the field of the Orange Bowl either when Alex Hornibrook was lighting it up. So when I look at their receiver group, you know, we kept being told this was their deepest, most most athletic group, right? But you know their long their long reception on Saturday. So so BYU did a really good job defensively up front, but they only had they only had three tackles for loss in the game, and they still gave up over 200 yards rushing. So you know you're not just going to go out there every single week, particularly in this. You know BYU is a very proud program. You have a lot of guys who are in their early 20s because of LDS missions. And so they come back, and they've had an extra year or two of strength and conditioning, and there's a huge maturation process between 18 and 23 years old, right? And and last year, Wisconsin went in there and just embarrassed them and gave a proud program maybe the worst home loss they've had in their modern era. So I don't think we're shocked that BYU came in and just played their manhood off because their manhood was taken from them last year. To me, this game comes down to this. BYU, I agree they did a good job, but they still only had three tackles for loss and gave up over 200 yards rushing. That, that means there's got to be some plays somewhere downfield to be made. And when your long com- completion on Saturday is 27 yards, that's your longest completion. That, that's telling me, if you're an Iowa fan listening to this, you know this story. You've, you, you have sung this song many times yourself. Either your quarterback can't get the ball down the field or your guys can't get open down the field. Now, I've not had a chance to go back and watch that game to know which it was. You know, watching it in real time, it's tough to tell. Plus, the beauty of watching games in Madison 
is where the TV camera's at. It's one of the best places uh, from a camera, for, from a uh, watching at home vantage point uh, in terms of the angle that you get to watch the game yeah, from. Yeah, it's low level, but it's yeah. Ter- yeah, but it's terrible to break the game down from, though, because you also don't get a chance to see everything, right? So I, I can't, I don't, I won't know whether it was a case of guys were open and Hornybrook wasn't seeing the field because you know BYU only had two sacks in the game as well or if it was uh, their receivers just couldn't get open downfield but um, to me I think that is going to be the story of this game whether or not I I think the uh, the Wisconsin offensive line and the Iowa defensive front are probably going to cancel each other out and if one side gets an advantage um, it'll it'll probably be so slight that it, it's unlikely I think it will make the difference in the game. I think where one side gets an advantage over the other will actually be the components around them. For example, if if what we if, if the reason the longest completion Wisconsin had last Saturday was 27 yards because their guys could get open, then Wisconsin's offensive front could even win most of those battles initially. But you can't hold your water that long against this kind of a defensive front. And if your guys are having a hard time getting open down the field, I mean, we have seen this with Iowa's offensive line in recent years where, you know, on third and five, they could turn that into a rundown, but they can't protect C.J. Beathard because guys don't get open, right? We've done those shows. We've done those shows in the past where Iowa takes a lot of sacks with with offensive lines that win Joe Moore awards because receivers can't get open and the quarterback has to throw the ball a little or has to hold the ball longer. I think that's going to be an interesting story to watch come Saturday night because Wisconsin could win at the initial point of attack in passing situations. But if their guys can't get open and and Hornybrook has to hold that ball for an extra half a second, this is the sort of Iowa defensive front that can make you pay for that in ways others in, in the last few years have not been able to. I have what I think is an answer for you. And again, I, I watch this game very, very closely. And I really do believe that Wisconsin's receivers were not getting open. And the reason why I say that is last year, um, Jonathan Taylor had eight receptions. He's got three so far this year. And I saw him targeted at least five times in that game hmm. against BYU on Saturday. That is not a part of Wisconsin's offense. And Hornybrook was all too willing to check down either in the flat or some underneath stuff to Taylor when we've never really seen him do that on a consistent basis in the past. And I was watching Hornybrook going through his progressions. And as he was doing that, he I think he does have a pretty decent uh, countdown clock in his head. And when he was getting to that three-second mark, he started to get really, really jumpy. And that's when he was looking for any outlet he could possibly find. And another reason why I think that's the case, particularly against BYU and why Iowa might have some success, is when you have a good defensive line that you're playing against, even as good of an offensive line as Wisconsin has, those offensive linemen for Wisconsin are unable to get out to that second level and disrupt the linebacking flow because they're, they have their hands full with that defensive line. And they're having to double team. They're having to chip. They're not able to get out to that second level. That means those linebackers are running free and causing problems. And they're able to get their drops 
because they don't have offensive linemen on them. And that makes your secondary. I mean, I, I tweeted out during the Wisconsin game yesterday on Saturday. I mean, BYU must have the best secondary ever or, or there's just nobody getting open because there's too much congestion with the linebacking core. And I think that's what it is. I think the Wisconsin offensive line had to focus too much on that BYU defensive line. I think they're going to have to give just as much attention to the Iowa offensive line. And I don't think that they have the skill position weapons um, to, to beat you deep. I, I really do believe that's what it is from what I've seen. Well, and I think that's entirely possible. And I think there's another concern that I have for Wisconsin here too is with the style of defense they play, and they only have one sack, and it's from an interior defensive lineman, I'm a little concerned about that if I'm a Badger fan. Because, you know, you have this slanting, stunting, you know, 3-4 defense with linebackers coming, and and eight guys, and, and they usually only rush four or five guys, but they put eight or nine guys in the box, you don't know which four five it is because of the way they line up and they cause a lot of it with with all of their movement uh in the box they cause a lot of confusion amongst collegiate offensive lines and they get more as many free you know alabama gets a lot of free rushers that's because they just recruit better guys than you wisconsin schemes more free rushers than any team i think in college football and when you are only getting one sack and it's from an interior defensive lineman in wisconsin scheme that probably just means he just overpowered you on that particular play. And so I kind of would wonder about that. See, I, I, similar to you know my views on Iowa playing Northern Iowa, I'm not going to go back and look at anything on that from any stats or anything from Wisconsin's first two games. They, they tell me nothing, absolutely friggin' nothing. I am far more impressed. I mean, I thought what DiNardo and Howard Griffith said – on, on on the Big Ten kickoff show Saturday was ridiculous. That Ohio State, it, they're shocked at how far ahead they are from everybody else in the Big Ten East. John, they played they played freaking Oregon State, who had the second lowest win total in Vegas in the Power Five ahead of Kansas. That was it. It was two and a half. Two and a half was Oregon State's win total, John, in Vegas. That was their opening game. Their next game was freaking Rutgers playing a freshman quarterback at home. And, oh, by the way, last week, Kansas scored more points against Rutgers than Ohio State did. You want to know Ohio State impressed me is when they were down by eight points in the third quarter against TCU, and they scored three touchdowns in four minutes and won the game. Now, that's when I was impressed. But you cannot evaluate what a team does. When Penn State's going on the road to their in-state rival in a freaking torrential downpour, Michigan's going on the road at playing at a, a, an old arch rival, Notre Dame. Michigan State's playing at a, a, 1 a.m. local time in 110-degree heat in a place where no Big Ten team ever goes out there and wins. You can't watch the film of, of the number one recruiting program in the conference versus freaking Oregon State and, Can- and Rutgers and say, man, they're just a lot better than everybody else. Everybody's a lot better playing Oregon State and Rutgers. Come on. So similarly, I don't think you learn anything. I don't think there's a point in even watching the film with the first two teams that Wisconsin opened up with. And they may have done themselves a disservice by opening up with both of those games. I don't know. I go back as well, though. You know, I don't I don't think everything the Big Ten Network crew says is dumb. I go back to, you know, what DiNardo's observations were from watching their summer camp, where he talked about the fact he was very concerned 
that basically this team had kind of lost the chip on its shoulder. That that they were on the cover of Sports Illustrated in the preseason preview, and everybody's picking them for the playoff. And he, he all but said he kind of got the view, he kind of got the sense they'd lost their eye, the Tiger, a little bit. And I think maybe you saw that uh, on Saturday. And the best kicker in the Big Ten went out there and got the yips on what's a very makeable field goal for him. Um, you know, I thought their game, their the, even the game plan on that last drive was really, really conservative. Almost as if it was just like, just, you know what, man, yeah. Alex Hornibrook, don't make that throw that loses us the game because if we get into overtime, our offensive line will win it. Did you get the sense watching that drive at the yeah. end? Yeah. They it, just were it, paranoid yeah. that Alex Hornibrook was going to lose him the game on that last drive. And so uh, I, I, I wonder, you know, if um, this is a new – it's a new place for this program. They have – for all the success they've had, and they've been in. They've won. They've got more division titles than any team in major college football, Alabama included. There, there. It was more preseason expectations on them this year than I can ever remember for all the success they've had. They've almost always been that other team with Ohio State, or the other team with Michigan and Ohio State, mm-hmm. or the other team with Iowa and Ohio State. They've kind of always been the other team. And this year they went into the year the team, especially with Urban Meyer and all the controversy at Ohio State. Everybody and their mom started picking Wisconsin then. And so I I just wonder if a loss like that on Saturday will do one of two things. Reset you as a program, like what happened with Ohio State when they lost to Virginia Tech in an ugly game at home in 2014 and then went out and won the national championship. That'll either reset you or it's a poor omen about – you know where you're at because you know this is an Iowa fan even when you're what I would call an elite level developmental program and I think we have a few of those in our league Michigan State Wisconsin certainly Iowa easy they're right there or a notch below those teams in terms of the developmental hierarchy in in college football when you are a developmental program though those intangibles those motivations you can't afford to lose those because that's that's one of the ways that you make up your margin against teams that are recruiting ahead of you. And so we're going to learn a lot about Wisconsin on Saturday night. We're going to learn that some things got exposed, and this is going to be a 9-3, and 8-4 team. Or we're going to learn that um, BYU gave them a wake-up call and did them a favor. And I don't know which it will be, and we're going to find out on Saturday night. Kirk Ferentz saying on Sunday that it looks like a really good chance for Ivory Kelly Martin to return this week, for Amir Smith-Marset to return this week. Um, And they're going to need both those guys because something BYU also did well against Wisconsin was they attacked the edge on the running game. And Wisconsin did not do a good job of that. And Wisconsin's defense, um, based upon what I saw against BYU, they are – maybe a notch to a notch and a half below where they were last year in the last several years. But the last several years, they've been one of the best defenses in the country. So I'm not saying they're not a good defense. They just are not as sound. They're not as assignment sound as they have been. And those linebackers were not flying. Now, when Iowa comes out and runs their zone offense, uh, their zone blocking scheme, you're going to see Wisconsin's linebackers slant and attack to zone flow side, which is why I'm really, really hoping Iowa's going to mix in a lot of power O, a lot of ISO traps, things of that nature, but also the jet sweep action that BYU used to a lot of success, really challenging Wisconsin on the edge because I think that's an area where uh, Wisconsin is weak. So it's going to be a lot of fun. A lot of can fun I, can I respond to that? The, oh, sure, yeah, the go ahead. Jets, 
the jet sweep thing is a great observation on your part because that's one way, similar to how Tom Landry came up with the idea of putting receivers in motion to get the defenses, you know, 30, 40 years ago to give away whether they were in zone or man, okay? And put that jet sweep action is a way of forcing Wisconsin's linebackers to sort of show their hand as much as right. pre-snap as much of as, as their scheme will permit you to get a to get a peek here's the thing for wisconsin i'm con- i'd be concerned about all right so the opening game byu played against arizona i'd throw that out it was against khalil tate who is having a disappointing year but eventually him and kevin someone will figure it out and he'll put up huge numbers i it's just a matter of what their record will be before that happens and so that was their first game together i'm going to throw that one out all right. Plus, Khalil Tate's not anything close to what Iowa is going to put under center on on Saturday night. But the game against Cal. So against Cal, they were playing their backup quarterback. Ross Bowers was hurt. So Cal Cal went in there on a Saturday night at BYU with their backup quarterback. He put up a QBR of about seventy against this BYU defense, and that was his first collegiate start on the road too. And here's Alex Hornibrook at home, seasoned veteran, three-year starter, that exact same defense with his offense running for 200 yards. And he puts up a QBR of 47. I'd be worried about that. Yeah, I mean, 43 attempts for 204 yards, 4.7 yards a carry. That's a winning number for Wisconsin. That just means your quarterback, if you're playing a team with a pulse, and BYU certainly, BYU is no worse than even with Wisconsin in the trenches on both sides of the ball. So you needed Hornibrook mm-hmm. to make those three or four passes, just like you talked about last week with Nate Stanley. At some point in time this season, likely when Iowa plays Wisconsin, Nate Stanley is going to have to make those three or four throws that wind up helping you win the game. Alex Hornibrook did not make those throws on Saturday. No touchdown passes, one interception. And... Um, Hmm. I, I tell you, I, I've it's been a while. I might have to think back. It's been a while since I've looked forward to a regular season game as much as I'm looking forward to this one. But you remember all offseason. This is the game. I mean, this really is the measuring stick for the Iowa program to me is to get back some of that toughness. I, I had a buddy of mine. You, you're familiar with the movie Moana, right? Yeah. Okay. So my, my buddy calls um, AJ Epinesa Maui. And he says that A.J. Epinesa is going to return the heart of Tafiti to Iowa City. And I, I, I said, you know what? I'm going to go one more. That heart was stolen in 2010 with Wisconsin. Since then, Iowa is one win against Wisconsin. And for me, this entire offseason was about showing up physically against Wisconsin and reminding them that you're bullies too and that this is more than just a one-team division. And that's what I've wanted to see. And I think I was in good position, uh, better position than I thought that they would be to do that. Before the year began, I actually felt better about Iowa's chances of winning at Penn State than home against Wisconsin. I, I will flip that around right now. I feel better about Wisconsin than Penn State. So... At any rate, that will wrap up this installment of the HN Podcast. More to talk about uh, on the Bigger Ten as we break down what happened in what might have been the worst regular season week for Big Ten football uh, in history, or maybe at least since World War II. We'll talk about that and tell you why on the Bigger Ten Podcast. For Steve, I'm John. We'll see you then.